After School Special Podcast. After School Special Podcast. After School Special Podcast. After School Special Podcast. If you were a kid back in the 90s and early 2000s, then chances are you were probably watching the animated series about the Batman. Behind every great animated hero is a great voice actor. And for me, that actor is Kevin Conroy. Batman the Animated Series really changed the way people were making animated drama. This was not the usual fare for kids' entertainment. We weren't just reinventing Batman. Batman's villain gallery was all being reinvented. It really was like watching these many movies. We didn't treat them like a TV show. We treated them like a motion picture. What up, Latchkey Kids and Broken Homies? This is Double D coming at you with another Retro Rewind. And this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Batman the Animated Series. We touched upon this actual subject in one of our older episodes. It was labeled the Fox Kids Saturday Lineup. One of our very first episodes on this show on After School Special Podcast, but in light of recent events of Kevin Conroy passing, I thought it was only right to revisit this show because it meant so much to my childhood and the guys, Aaron and Staffman's childhood. I thought we can go a little deeper into the cartoon and the effect that this particular cartoon had and how it made characters and created this whole genre of dark deco not the art deco but the dark deco of visual cartoons and the motif of it but once again this is after school special podcast i'm double d so we'll start in early 1990s coming off the heels of the tim burton batman movie that premiered in 1989 and the second the sequel premiering in June of 1992. And Bruce Tim, who had been working on the Tiny Toon Adventures that was produced by Steven Spielberg, was approached by the president of Warner Brothers Animation, Jean McCarty. And he was brought into a big meeting. She mentioned some of the properties that they were looking into. And one of those was actually Batman. And like I said, the first Tim Burton movie had came out. It was a big hit. Michael Keaton being the lead actor in that as Bruce Wayne and Batman. And this was coming off the heels of the sequel with Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny DeVito as the Penguin, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. And like I said, Michael Keaton reprising the role. So Warner Brothers, it seemed to me, wanted to capitalize this not only for kids, but wanted to see what they had as far as in the way of making a cartoon. So they brought in Bruce Tim and they talked about coming up with a Batman cartoon and Bruce Tim immediately jumped on it. He started drawing Batman, how he 
thought the character might look. And according to an article in The Vulture, he was pretty much on board. He says he went back to his desk after the meeting. He put all of his Tiny Toon stuff to the side and just started drawing Batman. And he says within a couple of hours, he came up with a version of Batman down on paper. And he said it was basically a new take. And ever since he was a little kid, Batman was always his favorite thing to draw. And I was the same way. And I remember back when those Tim Burton movies came out, I was a fan of Batman. But seeing those movies in the 80s, 89 to be exact, and in 1992, it took it to a whole new stratosphere. Because I think around that time, that's when I was gravitating towards hero worshiping, you know, as a little kid, you always see cartoons as an escape. You always project yourself onto characters you see on TV, pretty much no matter what the age, but especially those formative years when you were like eight to about 13, maybe even a little younger that I can remember that you just gravitate and you see yourself as those characters. And this was no exception. And it sounds to me that Bruce Tim was the same way all the way up into this moment where he finally got a chance to draw his childhood hero. So once again, this article in Vulture is what I'm mainly drawing from. And Bruce Tim said he finally drew a version of Batman that he was pleased with because in the past, he tried to draw Batman, but it always looked like somebody else's version of Batman, which I completely understand because he's so iconic. But this time he drew his own version of Batman. And then shortly after that, he brought these drawings to Eric Radomowski, who had painted for two years on Tiny Toon. So a large uh, majority of the people that went on to do the Batman, the animated series, were largely from Tiny Toons, which is a total juxtaposition of the aesthetic from silly Tiny Toons catered to little kids to this dark character in Batman and his whole, in the Gotham and his whole surrounding story. So after Eric Radomowski and Bruce Timm met and pretty much put their heads together, Batman cartoons started to come to life. And this version of Batman, which was eventually released in September of 1992, was the 15th animated version. I'm not going to go down the whole entire list of the Batmans before, but previous versions of Batman were mostly in the vein of slapstick, catered towards kids. In the way that the Adam West character portrayed Batman in the 60s, you know, this crime fighter, playboy billionaire who had all the fancy gadgets and fought crime. But it was nothing more deeper than that. But this cartoon, along with the Tim Burton movie, set a new tone for a new generation that looked at Batman totally different than it did in the past and definitely opened my eyes up to the possibility that cartoons don't always have to be silly and funny and have these subtle little points that everything is just going to be all right or things that only kids would appreciate, but also young adults and adults and older adults. So as far as inventing what they thought Batman should be in cartoons, Bruce Timm began developing this show in 1990. 
like I said, with mainly a lot of the Tiny Toons adventure production team. So Bruce Tim, along with Eric Radomowski, was put in charge of making a short film for the cartoon, a short Batman film, kind of like a pilot film, only a few minutes long, mostly silent, no dialogue, no nothing, just kind of a way to show Fox of what they were kind of thinking of doing and what they were planning, basically to sell the show. And Eric Radomowski was the background painter and Bruce Tim was the storyboard guy. So the conversation Eric Radomowski said was more about what they liked about Tim Burton's movie and how they felt that they needed to be a little different as far as the animation from those movies and what they could actually pull off because at the same time they wanted to be more adult with the themes and the stylings of the cartoon but they could only go so far and as much as i remember the 90s were kind of freeballing especially with shows like Mary with Children and this is on Fox's lineup Mary with Children and and shows like that kind of dip their toe on the edge there's only so much you can get away with in a cartoon in a block that this show eventually appeared on because from what I remember after school it would come on around 3 30 4 o'clock right when I was getting home from school I would have my snacks ready I would have my yoohoo my hot cheetos and I was just locked in and I remember back then and this is kind of dating myself, but I would record the show, but not with a VCR player. And this is how poor we were as kids. But I would record the show with like a kid style tape recorder. So not a VCR, but I would literally put my kid, my little cheap toy like cassette player and press record. I would have like a tape that was blank or I just taped over something that my, my mom had. And usually it was like a church service. I would tape the Batman shows on that. And later on in the day, like on the weekend, I would listen back to it. And I remember getting that idea from a librarian at my elementary school because I don't know why she did it. Maybe because the school system didn't have enough money and couldn't afford certain resources like a VCR player or they couldn't get a hold of certain material like uh, things we needed to watch on TV. So what my librarian used to do at my elementary school, she would record these programs, not on a VCR, but she would use like a tape recorder, record them, bring them to school. And while we were in the library, she would have us listen to these programs that she thought was important. And I remember thinking like, oh man, that's a good idea. I can just record. So if I miss something, like if I got to go to the restroom when I was watching Batman or later on Power Rangers, I could rewind it back and listen to it. It was almost like my own DVR, if we're, you know, kind of fast forwarding. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey babies, you're liking the show? Well, thanks. Leave a five-star rating and a comment, please. Do you want to see the guys' faces? Well, they got YouTube videos. It comes out every Wednesday before the episode comes out on Friday. You can watch this podcast on any major platform you listen to. Rate five stars and comment. Thanks, babies. Bruce Town, along with Eric Radomowski, had the conversation about the pilot. And 
they were trying to mix what Tim Burton did in the movies and make it fit what they were doing in the animation. And they didn't really think that it was going to work. According to Vulture back in 2017, Eric Radomowski says, we didn't know how this was going to work under the camera in terms of is the black in the character going to be too dark? What was this going to look like? We were going to figure out the guts of the actual technical production of it as opposed to what would actually be in the series. Bruce Tim said they were trying to, as far as like the music goes, get some of the Danny Elfman score from the first Batman. Bruce Tim said in the test pilot, they scored it with some Danny Elfman music from the first Batman movie and they used some sound effects from it. When they actually show this pilot to the executives, they were all in. They thought it was perfect and they handed the keys off to Bruce Tim and Eric Radomowski and basically told them, go ahead and make 65 episodes out of your concept of what you think the animation is going to look and sound and feel like. Bruce Tim was just stunned. And in his words, Bruce Tim says, how the fuck are we going to do this? Neither of them had produced Neither of them had produced an animation before. Like I said, they worked on Tiny Toons for a long time, but they weren't the captains of the ship. But as they were grappling with the idea of making Batman, they knew certain things they wanted to do, which was be a bit more adult than shows like G.I. Joe and Transformers or even He-Man, which I completely appreciated because when I found out this show was coming out when I was a kid. So I had to have been eight years old. Like I said, this was coming off the heels of Tim Burton. And one of the things I liked about Tim Burton's films was the fact that here I was as a seven, eight year old kid seeing this iconic heroic figure. I also felt like I was getting away with something when I was a kid watching this movie, the Tim Burton films, because it felt more adult than the other films that I used to watch, like Superman, Christopher Reeves, Superman, I thought, okay, <laughs> even as a kid, I was like, okay, yeah, it was my cartoon come to life. Whereas seeing this Batman, it was like, oh shit, I don't, I don't know if I'm actually able to watch this because people are dying in these films. Batman in the first film, in the 1989 film, had machine guns mounted on his Batmobile, but <laughs> it definitely felt more dope. So. Knowing that this cartoon was coming out, I thought, oh, wow, they're really going to let them do it in the way that Tim Burton did it? You really didn't know what to expect. So hearing that Bruce Tim was trying to go against the vein because G.I. Joe Transformers and He-Man, among other cartoons of the 80s and the early 90s were good shows. But like he said, they were designed for young kids and nobody else. And he says, if you were 13, that was pretty much the cutoff point for the show, like He-Man and G.I. Joe. But he wanted to do a show that would appeal to kids and also adults as well. And as he put it, Bruce Tim was basically making a show for himself and the people that were creating the show. So Paul Diney saw where Alan Burnett was going with it. And he said he started writing more towards that Hitchcock type of film noir type of motif in this show. So you had Paul Diney, Alan Burnett, and writer Mitch Bryan collaborating on this show. And they actually came up with a show Bible 
that laid out guidelines for the narrative and visual approach. And the visual approach they came up with was one thing and one thing alone keeps Gotham from drowning in a sea of corruption and despair. It is a grim being cloaked as much in mystery as he is in shadows. Like a bat, he dives out of the night to feed on Gotham's evil. To some, he is merely a legend. To others, he is a dedicated, driven Avenger. And to criminals, he is their worst nightmare. He is Batman. Man, that shit is great. Alan Burnett said they had three rules. No aliens, no ghosts, and no humanities awards. No pro-social stories. We were just out to have a good time with the audience. Some real Batman thrills. As far as the art goes, I'm not going to lie. When this came out in September of 1992, I was expecting this to look more like the Batman movies that I just saw, the Tim Burton movies. And as they explain it, Eric Radomowski said it gravitated towards old New York and some of the traditional architect, as well as the Art Deco. Tim Burton movie was more gothic, he says, but we wanted to be a little more stylish, a little classier. So the setting was more 40s New York, which kind of threw me off. Like I said, I was expecting more modern look to the Batman. And at first I didn't like it as a kid. I remember that, but I didn't say it out loud, but I just knew something was off, even though at the time I was so ready just to have a Batman cartoon. I think I just kind of shut that feeling off as a kid. I was just like, you know what? I don't even give a damn. I just want to see Batman. But Eric Radomowski says it was a 40s setting, but it was contemporary storylines that they were telling. We could see mobsters and 40s vehicles, and yet Batman had technology that was way beyond that time period. So it evolved into what we were calling Dark Deco, which is a term that this cartoon created instead of Art Deco. It was Dark Deco. So you had those stylings and elements that we're going to set this cartoon apart. And it did. Eventually, I even loved it because the way that the cartoon was, it almost felt like daytime drama when I would come home and watch this because it didn't feel like, like I said, I think even in the lineup at that time, before Batman came on, it was Tiny Toons or it was a more lighthearted cartoon before Batman. And then Batman came on and was like, oh shit, <laughs> time for the real shit. But as far as the soundtrack is concerned, Bruce Timm in an interview said they knew they weren't going to get Danny Elfman as far as on this show. But the Flash show, which was on air at the time, he heard the music on that and he was like, wow, this is very close to what we're looking for for the show. And Bruce Timm did some research and found out the person doing the music was Shirley Walker. Shirley Walker, he found out had actually worked with Danny Elfman on the first Batman movie. She had orchestrated most of it. And back then, shows, especially cartoons, they didn't have an original score for every episode. It was unheard of. But Bruce Timm presented what he wanted to Shirley, and she was very happy to come on board. And a lot of the music on that show really hooked me as a young kid because like I said kids nowadays probably you know take that for granted and it's done 
more and more and more in these shows where every show is has like an original score. But back then, it was pretty much the same canned music that you would use every episode at different points of the episode. Same sound effects, same everything. But this show kind of broke the mold of that. And moving on to the cast. That's another thing that can make or break animation like this. So now that they found someone to score the episodes, now that they finally find their artistic motif, Batman set in 40s New York, sleek, dark deco. The backgrounds were created very differently. They were done on black paper, which gave it this dark style. And as Andrea Romano, the voice director, says, nothing had ever been that dark as far as cartoons. Now we needed to cast actors to be these characters in the show. And that's another thing that can make or break a cartoon like this. So Batman himself they listened to 500 voices. Then they did callbacks for, with 120 people who auditioned for Batman alone. And Bruce Tim narrowed it down to about four or five voice actors. And Bruce Tim says he was not really gaga or really impressed by any of them. And it got to the point where Bruce Tim was auditioning people that would just walk through the door. And they were really there to audition for some other character, but they just were so desperate. They were like, hey, you want to audition for Batman? And Andrea Romano, the voice director, she mentioned that she used to have a roommate who was a casting director and asked her roommate, was there any actors that you know? And her roommate said, you know, there's this wonderful actor who's had a lot of stage experience. Because that's what they wanted. They didn't want just some person who has been doing a lot of voice acting for cartoons. They wanted someone with TV experience to be more theatrical, kind of like a soap opera style actor. And this roommate came up with a name and that name was Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy had a lot of stage experience, particularly in Broadway. In the 80s, Kevin Conroy was in television in 1985. He did a TV movie called The Covenant. He did some spot roles in shows like Cheers, Murphy Brown, Search for Tomorrow, and even Matlock. But primarily, he was into theater and did some roles in Hamlet. But so they brought in Kevin Conroy, which he says was his first animated audition ever and bruce tim says out of the blue this guy comes in kevin conroy and they told him what they were looking for kind of like michael keaton but kind of not and they wanted him to play the character's voice differently when he's talking as bruce wayne than he does as batman and kevin conroy says he pretty much had no preconceptions about the character as he says in the vulture interview he says he knows about the character because of Adam West's show from the 60s. And he brought that up in the actual audition. And Bruce Tim and others quickly told him, no, 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 that's not what they were going for. So forget all that. They started telling him about the history of Batman. He's avenging his parents, the deaths, and he got this dual identities. And Kevin Conroy 
immediately went back to his stage and theater experience and said to them, you're describing an archetypal hero, almost like a Hamlet character. So he was putting it in terms of stage roles that he was familiar with. And he says he let his imagination go and he found the darkest, most painful place in his voice to talk like Batman. And when he looked up from the audio booth, he saw Bruce Tim and others just look up at him excitedly. When he read both Bruce Wayne and Batman dialogue, Bruce Tim says right out the gate without any extra direction, he just nailed it. And for Kevin Conroy to nail it like that, and not a lot of actors can do that. Michael Keaton did that, in my opinion, perfectly. He got the idea that the persona of Batman, that's not the disguise. The disguise is Bruce Wayne. And Kevin Conroy in this article says that. And that's why I hated the Matt Reeves version that came out in 2022 with Robert Pattinson. The character of Bruce Wayne is supposed to act, talk, and feel different on the outside than Batman. And if you watch that film, there's no distinguishing any of that. And I know it seemed like they were going more for a darker version, more emo Batman in that movie and trying to distinguish themselves from the other Batman versions, at least theatrically. But you don't know the assignment to me that you don't you didn't do your homework. And if you did, you have to know that's like the foundation of Batman and Bruce Wayne. <laughs> They're not the same people. Bruce Wayne is the act. That's just him projecting what he thinks society is expecting from him. But his true passion, his true identity is Batman. So they finally hired Kevin Conroy, which I also learned from this article. Kevin Conroy gravitated towards supporting characters like Harvey Bullock and Commissioner Gordon because he thought they were more interesting. But he was quickly told no by the producers of the show. But as far as the other supporting characters, you got Kevin Conroy, who, like I said, gets Batman, gets Bruce Wayne, understands the assignment, who goes on to have this long lasting legacy of being the voice of Batman. And in many people's minds is probably the best Batman ever. And sadly, very sadly, Kevin Conroy passed. November 10th, 2022, which is another reason why I just had to do a retro rewind because this show, which spawned other incarnations of supporting shows like Superman, the animated series, Batman Beyond, Static Shock, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and video games like Batman Arkham Asylum, everything that featured this man's voice, it deserves to be honored. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey guys, if you like to see us in the flesh, we have video highlights of our episodes we release on every Wednesday before the new episode that comes out Friday. As always, you can catch this podcast on any major platform you listen to podcasts. Please make sure to rate us five stars and comment on how you're liking the show. After school special podcast. It's this lady and she's like, hi, welcome to my vagina. After school special podcast. What robot pet starts out speaking a unique language, but eventually speaks English? Gloopy? The fuck is a gloopy? Podcast comes out every Friday, Friday, Friday. Friday, Friday. Friday. But 
let's talk about the other important voice that later joined this show. And if you're going to have a great hero in Batman, you got to have a great villain, which leads us to the Joker, the quintessential villain for Batman. And Bruce Timm says everybody who came into audition for the Joker was doing basically Adam West era Joker actor Cesar Romero. And they weren't treating the character seriously. All of the actors that they tested were all doing these really silly, bizarre voices. And this is something that I never knew. Tim Curry, who we all know from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Amadeus, Home Alone 2, Spam a Lot, actually auditioned to be the Joker and actually got the job for the animated series. And Bruce Tim and the other producers on the show said Tim Curry came really close to what they wanted. They said his performance was funny. It was weird. It was definitely some menace to it. So they actually hired Tim and he did about three episodes. But Alan Burnett came to Bruce Tim after they did the third episode and they listened to the tracks that Tim Curry did and basically said they wanted to replace him. And Bruce Tim agreed. So they reached out to Mark Hamill's agent and little did most people, at least the public, know at the time, because Mark Hamill was a teen idol, was Luke Skywalker, who was a heroic figure, who was an iconic figure. But it turns out Mark Hamill was actually a huge comic book fan and a major Batman fan who really wanted to be attached to this show. But he figured, Mark Hamill says, that he wasn't going to be the Joker because of his notoriety of being Luke Skywalker. The fact that Public relations wise, he thought the idea of Luke Skywalker, this virtuous character coming from that to playing this <laughs> insane character, it just wasn't going to work. And well, at least he didn't think they were going to give him a shot to doing that. So he was trying to play another villain like Two-Face or Clayface or something that hasn't been done before. So when Mark Hamill came in to do the voice for the Joker... He says that he didn't have anxiety because he just didn't think he was going to get the role anyway. So he just let it all loose. And the people in the room that heard him do the laugh, the Joker laugh. And voice director Andrea Romano and others told him he nailed it. And Mark Hamill asked them, well, how did I get the role that he didn't think he was going to get? And they said they knew because it was your laugh. And with the Joker, he said, it's like there's ranges of laughs that Mark Hamill really tapped into. And he wanted to express himself through those laughs at different points of the show. Like he was like an artist trying to improvise with those laughs. It's not so much how the Joker laughs. It's when he laughs and what he laughs at that Mark Hamill was able to do in the series. So we're finally getting to the part where the first episode is finally produced. The first episode is actually on leather wings, but it was the second episode aired. The first episode was September 5th that came out. But because there's always a division between production order and airing order, which was common of the day. But the thing about this version of Batman being told, it didn't go into a lot of detail on how 
Batman was made. Like they didn't, that's one thing I noticed too. They didn't waste people's time with, well, you know, Bruce Wayne lost his parents this way and da 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 da. No, it got into this is Batman. You already know his story. Now, later on in the show, they do show the origins of how Batman became Batman. But I love the idea, even as a kid, that they didn't insult our geekdom with, oh, and by the way, this is how Batman became. Like, no, we just saw the Tim Burton movies. The comic book nerds already know a lot of this story. Let's just get right into it. This is what we're bringing. And I love that about this animated show. One of the first episodes that I loved, because at first it took me a while to get over that. This isn't exactly like the Michael Keaton, Tim Burton movie Batman that I was used to seeing. But around the third episode, Nothing to Fear, which was the one about the Scarecrow, the first episode where the Scarecrow makes his appearance. This is when Batman says his famous line, I am vengeance. I am the night. I am Batman. Kevin Conroy just nails that line. And Kevin Conroy says he didn't want to approach it as a silly line. He said he wanted to approach it like Bruce was talking to himself, reaffirming his own identity. It was like, I'm about to go on stage and I'm terrified. And I think I'll never remember everything. And I have a panic attack. And it was like Kevin Conroy himself saying, God damn it, Kevin, you're an actor. You're a good actor. You know the role. You can do this role better than anybody. Just do it. And as he was saying the line, that's what he was thinking to himself. But my favorite episode in this series was episode 31 called Dreams in Darkness. That's when the Scarecrow tricks Batman into taking this hallucinogen. Batman stopped the city from being infected because Scarecrow was attempting to put a hallucinogen in the city's water supply. But it was really a trap to get Batman to come there and then infect him. And then throughout the whole show, Batman is infected by this hallucinogen. And at one point, <laughs> Batman's in a Batmobile and he thinks he sees Robin on the road when he's driving. So he swerves not to hit Robin as he's hallucinating. And then he ends up in Arkham Asylum with a straitjacket on because Batman's crazy now. But I remember seeing that episode for the first time. And it was like the first time you hear Batman have an inner monologue saying, you know, how messed up he is and how he needs to kind of pull it together because the city's in danger, but he's locked up in Arkham. And then there's a psychiatrist coming to see him in the episode. We don't believe you, Batman, because, you know, Scarecrow, he's already locked up. So how is he trying to infect the city if he's locked up? And then eventually they go to the Scarecrow's prison cell and they find out that Batman was telling the truth, but he still didn't want to let him go because Batman's all messed up on that drug. And that episode, I just remember it was great. Episode 14, Heart of Ice, was the episode where they introduced Mr. Freeze character. And that was kind of like one of those breakthroughs for an animated series like this, because nobody had ever told a Mr. Freeze story like this that gave him a backstory of why he's the way he is. And it wasn't just the typical, oh, he's a villain because he hates Batman. Oh, he's a villain because, you know, he's infected with this incurable disease. But they gave him a story that helped reimagine this character where you understand his pain. You understand why he is the way he is because of his wife who's dying and he can't cure her disease. So she's frozen in this kind of 
snow globe cage that he made for her to preserve her life and that's another great episode but there's a lot of episodes i won't go through all of them but batman animated series not only fleshed out a lot of these characters but also created characters that are still in the batman lexicon to this day and one of those characters is harley quinn and harley quinn was supposed to be a one-off character and the person who does the voice Arlene Sorkin was brought in to do the character in episode 22 called the Joker's favor. This was actually Paul Diney's college friend. She was best known for playing Calope Jones on days of her lives. And in one episode of that show, she wore a jester costume and that's what gave Paul the idea that, Oh, well maybe this new character that we brought in on the show, she would be perfect for So Paul decided to give the Joker a henchman in the script in that episode and thought that the Harley Quinn persona would be a good contrast to the Joker's dangerous insanity. Bruce Timm said he wanted to call her Harley Quinn, and she's obviously a wrecked version of a Harley Quinn. Arlene Sorkin said she didn't pretend that this woman had great range, so she just picked a voice that was easy to do. And it worked. I did it, Mr. J. I did it for you. Arlene Sorkin put a little Yiddish sound in her voice. Bruce Tim said it was always intended for Harley Quinn to be a one-off. And they weren't planning on bringing her back. But when they got the first episode that she appeared in, it was a combination of the visual and Arlene Sorkin's performance that made it magical. So Paul Dineys immediately just started plotting her return in other future episodes. But the first season featured 65 episodes that concluded on September 16th, 1993. And the second season premiered May 3rd, 1994. And by then the show was a critical rating smash. By Christmas Day 1993, they saw the release of Batman Mass of the Phantasm, which was a feature-length film set in the show's universe. It alternates between flashbacks about Bruce Wayne's decision to become Batman during a Doom romance and telling a story in the present about Batman's battle with a lethal crime fighter known as the Phantasm. So that came out in 1993. Great film. And this show ran from September 5th. 1992 to September 15, 1995. And then the show transitioned into the new Batman Adventures, which ran from September 13, 1997 to January 16, 1999, with the same staff, Bruce Timm, Paul Diney, Alan Burnett, and, and Gene McCurdy as the executive producer. But the standard that this show set, it permeated. Because if it was Batman the Animated Series, it was Batman and Robin, then it was the new Batman Adventures, and then it was Batman Beyond. But this show was so deeply ingrained into my childhood and a lot of Lashkey kids and Broken Homies childhoods. And the fact that the voice of Batman, Kevin Conroy, just passed, I just had to do a rewind for this episode The show is listed on IGN as the best adaptation of Batman anywhere outside of the comics, the best comic book television show of all time, and the second best animated series of all time 
after The Simpsons, according to IGN. The series became the first in the continuity of the shared DC animated universe, spawning further animated TV series, feature films, comic books, video games, with most of the same creative talent. Like I said, this includes Superman, the animated series from 96 to 2000, Batman Beyond, 99 to 2001, Static Shock, 2000 to 2004, Justice League, 2001, 2004, Justice League Unlimited, and the theatrical film Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. And like I said, Kevin Conroy was the voice of Batman. And sadly, he lost his battle with intestinal cancer on November 10th, 2022 at the age of 66. He didn't disclose that he was ill, but the outpouring of love from his fans, including the people in the industry, has been overwhelming. And like I said, I know this isn't a typical funny after school special podcast episode, but I just had to reflect on this important show. Kevin Conroy's last TV role was He-Man and the Masters of the Universe on Netflix. He was the voice of Hordak. And in video games, he is in Multiverses. It's a free-to-play crossover fighting game developed by Player First Games, and it's published by Warner Brothers. So his final role, however, is in Ollie and Scoops. He voices the creature in that which comes out in 2023, but it's a comedy animated web series created by animated director, writer, and editor, Nico Khalil. So if you guys have any input on your favorite episode in this series, because there's a lot of them, especially when it gets to the character Robin in this show, because this is a short episode, but the animation changes when it gets from the original Batman animated series to when it gets to until it it gets to the new Batman adventures. But like I said, Kevin Conroy, rest in peace. After School Special Podcast. Catch us on AfterSchoolSpecialPodcast.com, After School Special Podcast on Instagram, After School SPE3 on Twitter, After School Special 3 on TikTok. Leave us a voice message. We're on SpeakPipe. Our ID on there is LatchkeyKidsSpeak. That's LatchkeyKidsSpeak. Listen to our older episodes. We got a lot of new listeners that have been listening to us lately. What up, guys? Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. It really helps us. We're back. Hopefully, we'll do more of these retro rewinds. Like I said, this was a retro rewind of the episode we did for Fox Kids Network. We did in 2021 in April, Saturday morning cartoons. So when you get a chance, check that out. We're trying to develop a community. More feedback is appreciated. And as always, rate us, share the podcast, rate us five stars, and write in the review, Lashkey Kids, if you don't really have anything to say. But that in itself really, really helps us as far as getting the word out about this podcast. So once again, After School Special Podcast, we have a website, AfterSchoolSpecialPodcast.com. I'm Double D. This is another Retro Rewind, and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey everyone, it's Aaron from After School Special Podcast. Like what you hear so far? But don't forget to subscribe and download the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts. And 
Just a friendly reminder, we have new episodes out every Friday. Thanks for listening, everyone. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman! Kevin Conroy, the longtime voice of Batman in the animated DC Universe, has died. Star Wars actor Mark Hamill, who worked alongside Conroy's Batman as the voice of the Joker, remembers his dear friend, saying, Kevin was a brilliant actor. For several generations, he has been the definitive Batman. It was one of those perfect scenarios where they got the exact right guy for the exact right part, and the world was better for it. Kevin Conroy was 66 years old.